Welcome to Edge Grip Podcast uh, with your hosts Nabil Kabani and myself, Gal Ratner. Um, this is episode number, what episode, Nabil? Seven, I believe. Is it seven or eight? I may have been eight. I'm not sure. We, we, no, we've had too many. Seven. We can't. We can't remember. We had too many and too many. Yes. Too many beers as well. So, but this is like the most memorable one right now. The most memorable one with so Imad. Is, so it's got to be lucky number seven. <laughs> with Imad like Samad, which is the owner of Fast Track Riders and a very fast, a very fast guy and a very knowledgeable guy, and have been around and raced paddock for at least twenty years. At least, yeah. Yeah, but I'm not as fast as most people think. I just look fast because yeah. <laughs> I'm small <laughs> and, and I fit well on the bike and I like to post a lot for the pictures, but yes. <laughs> so so the good part about your track days is uh, you put transpon- transponders on everybody's bikes. Uh, so we know exactly how fast you are. That's true. <laughs> and everybody everybody can just go to FastTrackRiders.com or is it dot FastTrackRiders.com. Yeah, One T. And, and, and they can they can check Damn the lap time. times and, and figure out by themselves if, if you're fast or not. And, and yeah. And just ignore the fact that it's a Shopify card because uh, <laughs> 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 those things are not very good. <laughs> you know, we do our best. Okay. <laughs> we do our best. Uh, and and Spoken like well, the, well, Gal has a company that does uh, uh, carts. And, okay. and shopping carts and e-stores and so on and so forth. And so he's very touchy about com- competition. Yeah, I, I don't like well, a, I don't like anybody that doesn't use doesn't doesn't use my uh, my stores. Well, we 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 <laughs> had like so we had several obviously in the past. You know, Fast Track has been around since '89. Um, I got involved with Fast Track uh, in 2000, end of 2014. Um, and since then, you know, it used to be a, a pretty proprietary system. Um, just built from the ground up. And then after that, we went to WooCommerce um, uh, with a WordPress website. And then after that, that was like a, a disaster to maintain. Uh, and then from there on, we, we thought like so far, you know, uh, fingers crossed, it's just been, you know, Shopify's probably been the, the least painful from a lot of aspects, although the some of the features and the stuff that we would like to do uh, for the website is, is very limited. Uh, but, but again, it, you know, the, the advantages is how little of a maintenance I have to do, which is awesome. Okay. That, that concludes our interview. <laughs> <laughs> nice meeting you guys. <laughs> well, you know, you can always cut it out. <laughs> never, never mind. Uh, but, you never know. Mind. No, I, I, in my oh. past, in my past, I, I built another company uh, that was bigger than Shopify back in the day. Um, and then okay. when thing ended, I started ChopSnap, which is, um, it's more modern. It's, it's less fees, less money, uh, less headache. Yeah. Um, so for so me, like maybe. less headache is the most important thing because yeah. You know, I've, I've had to do with a lot of these in the past. So, um, so yeah, there you go. Uh, let's let's talk about motorcycles before my blood pressure yeah. goes up too much. <laughs> okay, absolutely. Yeah, we, let's we do talk it. a lot uh, about details, but like, you know, in general, fast track. And I know you you got into it after it was started, but you know, 
unless you're a glutton for punishment, nobody gets to do track days. Uh, but what's your vision behind it? What we're trying to do by owning, owning and running an organization like that? And, and, and I, I think I think I should before before you answer that, Imad, I think I sure. should I should say it's someone someone that was your customer for for a long time and, and a customer of the the person that owned <laughs> the company before you and a person a customer of the person that owned the com the company before that person. Uh, I I started with Fast Track in two thousand and four, uh, so I I saw you guys progress and advance uh, from owner to owner. Uh, and once, once you took, once you took over, um, for, first of all, when, when David Cerviti passed, uh, I thought that would be the end of it, but you, you really picked it up and you took it to the next level. Uh, so you obviously had a vision, uh, and you obviously had a good team behind you and, and you executed your vision. So, so I think from there we can go to Nabil's question, which is the vision. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I was a longtime customer for Fast Track even before I even got involved. And I loved the organization. I loved what they were doing. But I just thought that we're not even scratching the surface of the potential of what that company can do uh, based on a lot of the uh, ingredients that were available for the company, you know, from a clientele to um, the, the location to the exclusivity at Auto Club to, um, you know, if you just add all all the technology and also the team that was behind fast track. Uh, I, I thought it was like a, it, it was an opportunity that I was pursuing for many years. Let's say the least, I won't disclose uh, how many years I kept harassing Dave uh, piles, <laughs> but eventually it worked out. And, and when, when it did, um, I had all this vision, you know, is I, I wanted to take a company cause I wasn't interested in just doing a track day company. I mean, I, that was never really the case because I'd rather just go pay, have fun and leave and just run a track day, you know? Um, I wanted to see, you know, I've always been a, a motorcycle enthusiast and all along, I always wanted to, to see what, what, what is the main differentiator between how we treat motorcyclists in the U S versus how they are treated in Europe. You know, I, I visit Europe and, you know, it's a mode of transportation. They, and, and in a lot of parts of the world, they actually use motorcycles as a mode of transportation. Um, motorcycle riders are respected. You know, they're not uh, like they're perceived over here. For the most case here, you see uh, someone splitting the lane, somebody will try to block them. You see uh, uh, someone who's in the canyon, somebody's trying to run them off the canyon. You know, there's always this animosity against motorcycle riders. And, and I'm always trying to find out what is really the, the main reason behind all that. So I thought, okay, well, at least, let, you know, by, by educating as many riders as we can, how to ride, you know, in, in a preferred manner and how to ride safely, how to respect others on, on the road and on the track, um, the more educated riders there are, you know, maybe we could eventually move into the realm of a motorcycle can be a mode of transportation and accepted as a mode of transportation um, in, in North America. And if that happens, then the next thing, obviously, you, you know, it uh, uh, you're going to get that momentum going. The flywheel is going to start turning and, and everybody's going to start looking at motorcycles in a, from a different lens. And that was like the main premise of what we wanted to do. And to do that, you know, you, you need to have a lot of the, um, you know, the, the small things that actually make a big good thing, you know? So, so how do you, how do you do that by just being Imad Saman, who no one 
nose off in, 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 you know, um, and just a guy who rides out the track, you know, there's, there's a lot of us that ride out the track. Right. Um, so what we did is like you surround yourself by people that, uh, are, are way better than you as riders and, and, and have reputation in the industry. And uh, my first, uh, my first approach was let me get to have as many eyeballs as possible on fast track. And if we do that, uh, then, you know, um, by, uh, by nature, that's just going to influence more people to be more receptive to seeing the kind of riders that are out there. It's not the same as what most people perceive them to be. You know, there's a lot of uh, uh, very high level, skilled, educated riders that actually are great people. And I, I told Nabil before, I've met the greatest and the closest people that I work with and I talk to and my closest friends through motorcycles. So, um, so if we can educate and show as many people as possible what we're all about, then I think we win. And hopefully we start trending down the same path that I was, you know, the, the vision of making this as close as possible to how it's perceived in Europe. Because perception is really what's perce- what's preceding our reputation. And I think we just, you know, um, by changing that, there's a really good chance that we have uh, uh, an opportunity to make a dent in the industry. I agree. And and how does that translate to, hey, let me buy your company and let me let me let me uh, execute my own contract with with Fontana and and let me let me do the marketing and how, how does that how did that switch get off in your head and and how did you start executing it? Yeah, so I I had this, you know, I I I talk about some like TV shows that actually influence the way that we we think and we talk. Uh, and I said, well, the best thing we could do is let, let's try to see if we can get a, a TV show together or at least uh, a, a web series uh, to, of some sort, you know, that people can follow and then can see what we're, we're all about. So we created the, the Academy. And uh, I remember when I reached out uh, first to uh, some of the pro riders, they thought I was out of my mind, you know, and, and we ran the Academy in 2015, 16, 17, 18 and 19. And, you know, so uh, we created this program out of scratch, out of nothing, uh, that we have um, these riders that we take them over a period of three months, we transform them into a completely different rider that they don't recognize the rider they were three months before that. And uh, we're thinking, you know, how do you do that and doing it in a safely manner? Not the same way that, hey, now we're just going to go do racing and the race uh, winner is going to take take all the big prize, et cetera. So we, we, we did a point system. We, uh, uh, we made it very enticing. We made it very encouraging, not only that the students are competing against other students, but the coaches are also competing against the other coaches because each coach wants to win. So it was like a multi-layered approach of how you can get all this together. And then we said, okay, let's involve social media. So we had social media vote, voting is involved uh, and, and adding to the point system that we created. Uh, and then throughout the entire experience, you're always under a lot of uh, uh, challenging situations and you're always trying to challenge yourself to become uh, better and do better without really uh, all the inherent danger of just racing wheel to wheel you know, uh, or, or waiting for somebody to make a mistake. And, uh, you know, so kind of, we created the system that actually, I don't think it existed. And then we gave away a motorcycle for the winner, uh, of, of the Academy. So where else would you get trained and get a motorcycle at the end for winning, for being like the most 
well-trained. I mean, it's, you already got everything you need by just achieving your goal and getting the most training. Um, and then you're getting a motorcycle on top of that. So we made it very, very enticing. And then we wanted that to, to kind of like, you know, start the momentum of that big flywheel so that these riders, uh, some of the academy graduates actually are coaches with us right now. We want those people to learn and also start teaching others and others teaching others, et cetera. So we want that to truncate and, um, and just kind of translate to uh, as many possible riders as possible out there. So, so when you say we gave away a motorcycle, so the first time around, I think it was a super bike, right? You gave away a BMW? Uh, no, the first time we gave away uh, an RC390 KTM. We gave away a RC390 Cup. Okay. Um, that's when they first came out. I think uh, I'd have to look back at my my records, but I think the fourth year we gave away an S1000RR. Yeah. Four, okay. So so when you say yeah. we gave away a motorcycle, you, you gave away at $15,000, $17,000 motorcycle, right? So that, Correct. that's quite, mean, yes. that's, that's quite a prize. It's a big yeah. prize. And then even second, you know, second place, third place, uh, fourth place, they all got big prizes. We, we gave them, you know, uh, the second place, I think got five sets of slicks, uh, you know, third place, uh, uh, they got uh, six months of, uh, you know, unlimited track days and fourth place, they got uh, tire warmers and fifth place, they got gloves. So, everybody got a lot of big prizes, you know? Uh, so I was really stoked and, and, and very uh, honored and, and humbled by the, um, the ability to get all the sponsors to help us out with, with being able to run a program like this. And, and you run, you run drawings, I think every track day or every track day that I've been to almost. Yeah. And I, I won twice uh, free track days. So, you know, I never, okay, we're going to put your name on the list. I, I never <laughs> win. And, yeah, I never win. And I won, I won track days and, and I kept, I kept coming back and coming back because it, it, it felt like a family. It is a family. And that's, you know, it's, it's some of the happiest moments when I get ready to just start getting to the track and start getting happy. Even a couple of days before I get pretty excited about it. And, you know, I feel like I'm going to hang out with my friends and my family and my extended family and, and ride motorcycles. How bad could that be? You know? Yeah, and and the technical inspection guys always joke around with you. Yeah, and, and it's yeah. it just everybody in the paddock is so nice. And uh, I I came with with a an Aprilia, so obviously it didn't start. So everybody's helping me, you know, pushing it and and charging it. Um, yeah, they don't hold that against you at all. Yeah, That's, uh, yeah, exactly. I'll <laughs> 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 we'll let you ride anyway. Yeah, at, at least, it, at least it wasn't. Yeah, at least it wasn't a KTM, so it wasn't leaking any any fluid. It was KTM. They would you would have got like the royal treatment. <laughs> 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 they would have carried the bike and put it back for you. <laughs> back back in the you know back in the truck. <laughs> wipe down any gas leaks or anything. Yeah, uh, they would have done all that. <laughs> Bring a bucket. Okay. <laughs> So, so what? So, Imad, the... you often tell me how um, you know part of your your idea also was to basically create safer, faster, better riders, and yep. you know for people not to go try their skills in the canyon, but you know come and do it in a safe environment. And you you did the university, but you also have other training opportunities within fast track, right? There are still yeah. I know the university is on pause, but there's other things still happening, right? Yeah, I mean, there, we do a lot of the private coaching right now. People are seeing a lot of the value because, you know, we have uh, amazing uh, pro coaches that help us throughout the year all the time. There's, you know, there's not a single event that you come and you don't see any of the top riders that are, you know, pro coaches are helping us out. 
And uh, we, we got the support of, um, you know, uh, USMCA, um, the MSF, um, and uh, all, and the MIC. And it just basically, all we wanted to do is, you know, help these guys, uh, these riders become faster, but more importantly, safer. And, and a lot of the riders that have actually gone through any of our program, whether it's from RDS to Gymkhana to private coaching to university academy, any of the programs that they went through, uh, they give us great feedback as, as far as like the, they feel like they're working a lot less um, for going a lot faster and feeling a lot safer. And, and that's really the key, the key goal. I mean, we, you know, the lap times are not there for us to compete, um, you know, and compare who's the fastest guy at the track. We made them there for safety reasons initially. I mean, that's really what we started with the, with the lap times is we wanted to group as many riders as possible with the closest uh, differential speed because we, we realized if uh, the differential speed is one of the most dangerous elements on a, on a track because you can, if you have 100 miles an hour differential speed between someone who's going, you know, 70 miles an hour and somebody else who's going 170 miles an hour into a corner, that's, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. So we wanted to group as many riders as possible, as close as possible to the, to, to that range of speed that they're in so that it makes it safer for everybody. And then we reduce the number of riders that can ride at the track at the same time, you know, so we, we limit that. Um, when we do have a sellout event, most riders don't even ever think that we have a sellout. You say, well, it's kind of like, you know, they, they get um, a little worried or intimidated that it's a, it's a sold out event, but then they realize that our sellout events is plenty of room for everybody. That's why we wanted to make sure that everybody feels comfortable and have a happy day at the track because we all have to go back to work, most yeah. of us, uh, the day after. <laughs> that, that, that's one of the things I noticed that uh, usually when I go to track days with, with other organizations, I, I come I come out of a session and I go, and I go damn traffic right and every time i i ride fontana and I ride with fast track riders i don't i don't come out and say hey it was traffic it's always a nice you know nice open racetrack especially towards the last half of the day um and, and it's it's always you know it's always a feeling of they didn't they didn't overbook this thing just to make money yeah i mean and and we you know I don't know a lot about the other organizations, neither do we really um, spend a lot of time looking at what, how they run their business, what do they do? But for the most part, like what we know, um, our staff, they're, they're cherry picked. You know, we, we, we spend a lot of time before we hire any of staff, especially uh, our instructors. I mean, they go through a very rigorous process before they're selected. Um, you know, everybody on the team, they go through that, uh, screening process pretty thoroughly and uh, you know they're all passionate about motorcycles and they all uh, you know we, we 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 have paid corner workers we have paid staff and you know so we we run it like an organization it's not i never intended initially to you know do fast track uh, solely for the purpose of money i mean it was uh, it was uh, i mean as a matter of fact with all the stuff that we've done at the academy uh, it, it was a uh, is losing proposition. You know, I mean, we had to spend money to run that program um, initially, uh, you know, before we got all the support that we could have uh, gotten from the sponsors. Uh, but over time, we got better and, and, and we're able to 
break even, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the idea behind it was like, if, if, we, if we ever win in our mission, what we wanted to disseminate uh, as far as information to everybody else into the world and, and, and make a, a small dent and we change the perception of uh, 5% of the population, we've done great, you know? Yeah. That's, uh, that's yeah. at least a step in the right direction. I, I know you don't go to other track days, but, you know, some track days, at least uh, that I've been to, um, I'm not I'm not saying current organizations, but, but <coughs> in, the, in the past, someone forgot to put the cones in, right, in, in Willow. So I almost ran off turn one because there, was, there were no breaking marks, right? And uh, there were not, not enough corner workers, um, and... They, they were breaking for lunch and, you know, I respect breaking for lunch, but if, if you don't put the cones on the racetrack, what are you taking lunch for? Right. You know what I mean? You didn't do, you didn't do your job. Uh, and, and I come into your organization and, and I go into a fast track riders organization. I know everybody's going to be there for me. The ambulance is going to be there for me. If, you know, if, if I need it, uh, the cones are going to be where they need to be. There's going to be enough corner workers. They're going to, be professional with the flags, even putting the flags up correctly. Uh, they're they're going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to act like a race organization. Um, and then the people that are going to be there are, are going to be educated enough not to, not to get out onto the racetrack in the wrong line, right? In the race line, they're going to know to hog turn one. Uh, they're going to have good etiquette. Um, I've seen, I've seen racer, I shouldn't say race organizations. I've seen I've seen tractor organizations where you had to lock your your stuff in the car, right? Because people would go around the paddock stealing stuff, and and with fast track riders, you you just go out there and you just you can put your wallet, you know, right smack there in the you know next to your bike. No one's going to touch it. Let's not encourage that, but yes, but we have not had <laughs> we have not we have not had any incidents, and unfortunately, that it, that's been the case. So you know, we're very fortunate with with with, with the clientele and the staff and everybody that we have is, is a complete family complete team like i said we all look out for each other i can't tell you how many times i have people come over to me and give me a phone and say oh, somebody lost their phone or somebody lost their wallet or somebody that, like they hand them over to us and we we call that on the radio and pay somebody to come get you know so it, it's happened many many times but um you brought up a really good point which is you know for me most importantly is safety um and uh, we were, you know, and Nabil and others, they, they tell me that I don't really um, do a very good job in, in, in actually talking much about this. But we do have um, a medical staff. We do have the medical staff on site at Fast Track. So we do have a medical center. We have two ambulances and we have a doctor on site. So um, this is usually not the case in any organization uh, unless if you're racing in a sanctioned Motor America race. Um, you know, in specific uh, tracks that they actually have uh, a medical center and a doctor on site. So, um, and I could tell you, it's uh, it's really, really uh, rewarding to see how many times, like, we've taken care of many, many situations uh, in a very, very rapid mode that, uh, you know, um, we don't know what the outcome could have been if it was different. So Yeah, and, and it's also, I, I see professional road racing folks you know just doing track days and it's really encouraging that you know they, they trust you enough to go and uh yeah. in the middle of a season just just go and practice because they know they're in, good, they're in good hands absolutely yeah and you know we 
we, 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 we're very fortunate and, you know, it, it's really humbling to see how fast these guys can go. Like whenever you think you're going fast and these guys come around us, like we're just obstacles and it, it's really humbling, you know, um, to, to ride with, I've been privileged to ride with a lot of the uh, top pros and, and just see what they can do. And even if it's just for one corner, it, it, it blows my mind every single time, you know, their abilities are completely different level and, and their ability to not just what you see, but what they have in the bag that hasn't been even demonstrated yet. It, it, it's mind boggling. And, and they do it all and, and they look like they're going slow until you, until yeah. you look at the timesheet and it's, you know, 124 and, and you go, how, how did he, you know, yeah. how did he get there? I mean, where did he make all this, time on me right and yeah that's that's no, why it's just, that's when there's a pros yeah and in in a lot of like our um uh, pro uh coaches uh, they're mostly running on stock bikes and when they run on stock bikes um it it, it blows my mind how fast these things can go stock <laughs> so you know it's a it, it's a really humbling experience um, what what would you say to someone that uh got a motorcycle um did did a few miles on the road, let's say 10,000 10, miles on the road, and they're listening to this podcast because they, like, <coughs> they like motorcycles, but they don't know they don't know how to get to the racetrack, what to do, uh, what to do to the motorcycle, how to you know how to register, what to prepare, what gear to prepare, uh, how to prepare yourself. Do you do you have some sort of a ten minute yeah. you know guide of A B C? This is this is what you're gonna do uh, to safely start. Uh, dragging your knee yeah we we have all that posted on our website so if you go to fasttrackriders.com um and you go into frequently asked questions we pretty much have over 50 questions that are answered in the same uh, manner that uh, you're asking uh but I'll, i'll summarize i mean basically um one is you can't start riding on the street and then the next thing you want to go to the track so what we have done we've developed a program that we run It's called the basic skills program that you run in the in, in our parking lot close where we rent the gym kind area so we can teach you to transition from um, just getting your motorcycle license into actually being a good rider you know without really intimidating you at a fast track uh, event uh, being on a, a super fast track like auto club speedway you know where, where you're hitting speeds in excess of 170 miles an hour so So that, that's a good start. So you can start with the basic skills program. And then once you're ready to go to the track, uh, the big track, then we have a, a writer's development school. Um, so we could actually get you through that program, how to transition from street riding into uh, track riding. Uh, and that's a whole different uh, uh, aspect of, of, of uh, skill sets that you would need in addition to what you've been doing on the street. Um, all the, I would say, You know, all the skills that you learn on the track are very transferable to the street because if you become a faster rider and you're able to react quickly and you're able to understand how the bike functions and, and, and how you can uh, maneuver the bike safely, um, anytime that you're on the street and you encounter a, a dangerous situation, you're going to be able to apply that. Um, so I think, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, I just don't want to go fast. And, uh, you know, the track is not only for going fast because we do have level ones. And we have uh, level two and we have level three and now we have level four, which I'll talk about that in a second. Um, so, so then you start progressing. If you want to continue down that path, or you can stay in level one, which is basically honing in your skills 
for street riding. I mean, if you could be a, a very, we have people that just stay in level one because that's all they want to do, you know, and they come in, they have uh, 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 bikes that are not actually uh, complete sport bikes, you know, they're, they're touring bikes and they just want to ride better on the street and they want to practice the skills, they want to do drills of braking, they want to do drills of uh, acceleration, they want to know what the capabilities of the bike are, and then they go experiment and then that just makes them better riders on the street. And then as far as like the entry to the track, a lot of people also get intimidated by, Hey, I got to change the, uh, I, I got to put water weather in the, uh, radiator. I got to safety wire, everything I got. And it's not the case, you know, uh, this is not a sanctioned race and he's going to come, he's going to go through safety inspection. Um, and if the bike p- passes the safety inspection, obviously you need to have good tires, good brakes. Uh, the bike has to be in good condition. Uh, but once you pass the safety inspection, I mean, uh, what you're required to do is very limited. You just have to tape up the lights or disconnect the fuses um, and you know, tape the wheel weights and remove the mirrors or tape them and remove the license plate. Uh, and, and just very minor things that will take you less than half an hour to get the bike ready for the track. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do them on the track. So you can, you can do them on the track. Yeah, A lot of people come in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. A lot yeah, of people we have, they actually ride their bikes to the track they tape it up, they do whatever. And then at the end of the day, they remove everything and then they ride it back home. Yeah. So, not, not recommended though. I, I did that one time. And, not recommended, but yeah, because yeah, you don't have fuel, you know, you have to go out to get fuel. You don't have food, you know, water and hydration and stuff like that. It's, plus, it's plus not you're super tired at the end of the day and, and tired. you have to, yeah, you have to ride on your bike, you know, and then you've been riding at a hundred miles an hour. Or so yeah. plus, and then you go out on the street and you think it's like, Oh, like, 50 feels like you're standing still and the next thing you're doing 100 without even knowing on a small street so so definitely not recommended but uh, but it's doable what i'm saying is from the perspective of how much time it takes to prep the bike is really very very minor time yeah. and then so if you progress um, i imagine your rds rider development school is mandatory for first time riders right first time track riders first time track come riders. In, go through yeah. the course and then after that, uh, one of the things actually that wasn't co- isn't commonly known, I think, still, and that you have coaches circulating all day long during the track day, and you can go up to them and say, "Hey, I need help here." I'd absolutely you turn, which is really cool because sometimes they'll even if they have the time, they'll follow you for a lap and give you recommendations, yeah. which is really unique because in, in most unless you want a full day of coaching, which is <laughs> ball game or a yeah. half day, in most organizations there's no coaches running around trying to give you advice all day long. And, and that's pretty good. I even the way I learned about it, and I <laughs> got advertised better. But the way I learned about it was one day uh, one of the coaches comes up to me in the pits and goes, "I saw you on the track and you did this and you should be doing that." And I'm like, "Who are you?" I'm like, "Well, I'm I'm a coach here and I come and help people as I see them around the track." I'm like, well, "That's pretty cool." I didn't that's know awesome. that was a yeah. feature. Yeah, no, we 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 do a lot of the. <laughs> You know, even we ran, I don't know if you remember if you were there or not, but uh, we did the proactive coaching uh, sessions at Button Willow. Um, you know, yeah. so we, uh, yeah, so that was like uh, uh, similar to what you're saying. It's what we did is we, we provide, so we have this encyclopedia of information. We have this massive amount of writing talent and experience available to you. And we leave it up to the rider how much they want to extract out of it. Like how much do, how much does it mean to them to learn? Because we don't want to just, you know, force people how to do things our way, but we feel like if anyone who's um, interested in learning how things are done by these pros, um, then they actually, uh, you know, 
the information is available. So, so we, we realize like a lot of the, it, it's, it's a very similar program to most of our programs that we've put together. It's how much of it do you want to get out and how much you put in is how much you're going to get out. So, so we leave it up to the, to the rider to extract as much information as possible. I don't know if you know, like even through the Academy, we had a, a three months period. Um, although the track days were limited, uh, but throughout the entire period, you could talk to your coach all the time about your, your, your fitness training, about your corners, about some other tracks that you go to or whatever you, you're doing. You had access to the coach for the entire three months. Don't remind me. I remember the first, I got assigned to Chris Ulrich and the first thing he says, yeah. I said, so how about fitness? He's like, well, before we start talking, I wanted to every day to do 100 push-up, 100 sit-up, 100 <laughs> what's it, I don't know, another 100 the, of the, something. The very minimum. <laughs> the very minimum. <laughs> yes no absolutely and, well, and that's a good start now, did you do and that? actually i have to say i did drop like five to eight seconds in that program i did them i broke them up though i couldn't do them in one shot i had to like do you know 25 yeah. or 40 push-ups and then wait and then do another 20 and I told you a lot better. I loved to beat and I went a lot faster. I told you, Nabil, just go to jiu-jitsu. You don't need you don't need those push-ups. Just just <laughs> go to jiu-jitsu and tra train jiu-jitsu three or four times a week. You're covered. Right. Get, get, Gal, we were happy to see him do the push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that was that was that was our highlights of the day. So, um, I, like even in the academy, I don't know. I didn't really. Uh, Nabil said that earlier, and, and and I know it's a fact that I, I do a terrible job in advertising what we do, but because it's it's like a layer after layer. But uh, I get pretty excited about it uh, when I think about it. And and we what, you know, not only that we wanted you to be a fit rider, but we wanted you to be physically fit rider. So uh, part of the academy was also a bicycle race. So I, you know, people were training for for that bicycle race, and 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 and. Trust me when I say is that there was one of the bicycle races uh, that I I saw firsthand was a very high level of bicycle race. <laughs> it was pretty legit. So so you know um, yeah you have to be physically fit because a lot of people think well I'm just twisting the throttle why do I need to be fit and it's not the case you know um, handling a motorcycle you need a lot of mental uh, f uh, fitness uh, being able to focus for for a long time which adam keeps telling me I, i'm always running all over the place so i have a hard time uh, focusing but also uh you know physical strength and 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 when you're not tired you're less likely to make a lot of mistakes and that's what we try to to teach like when you start seeing mistakes to, to acknowledge that you need to get some rest to, to acknowledge that now you're past the safety zone you gotta you gotta scale back so so as far as concentration i, I think caffeine helps <clears throat> me so i don't know if the, do you do you drink a cup of coffee in the morning before you ride absolutely I'm, i i do i mean everybody does their own thing but for me i, I do definitely need the caffeine in the morning uh uh, if I get tired throughout the day, I also have another um, boost of caffeine um, if I feel like I'm tired. Because uh, Nabil and the others, uh, they also know when I do ride a lot and I, uh, you know, I'm always running around. Uh, my day starts and I don't know how it ends. Like it's all of a sudden it starts and it ends. Like um, I think the last uh, event I rode uh, every session, so the, it, all eight sessions, and then the uh, next day, I wrote um, all eight sessions, and at the end of the day, that last session I did the the three sessions, uh, the four sessions 
consecutive, like nonstop. So I jumped on different bikes. I just came in when the gas was out. I jumped on a different bike. So I do run a lot, like uh, when I when I when I'm in, when I feel like it. And um, and yes, so hydration, nutrition is key, um, and and that's like my my secret for the ability. Even when we're in Haraz, I was riding in double sessions the entire day. So I rode uh, literally like almost sixteen sessions in one day. <laughs> so, um, so, so, and, and I was perfectly like, didn't, and I set my fastest lap usually at the end of the day. So I don't, you know, and it's all about staying ahead of it, you know, hydration, staying ahead of it on, on nutrition. Um, I, I learned that a lot from cycling. Um, once you're behind it, you just, there's no catching up. You take, so I, you take supplements like L-citrulline, for example, for NOS? <laughs> I don't really do much except on really, really hot days. Uh, I, do, I do take some salt tablets and stay hydrated like Pedialyte or anything. Depends on that. But on cool days, it's mostly just water, maybe here there a Gatorade or something really light. But uh, but nutrition, I make sure I get enough carbs in, I, I get enough uh, protein, just kind of good. Like not be, not go into a food coma, but 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 stay, you know, just on top of it and throughout the day you're constantly munching on something so i always try to take a bite or so in between sessions i, I try not to eat too much when, when it comes to bars you can yeah I, yeah I, I bring i bring a ton of bars in there and and i always just go through like maybe a quarter of them yeah it, it's just, i've noticed uh recently i've been using some of the uh, stuff that i use on the bicycle and it's probably it's easier on the stomach so some of the goos and some of the nutrition bars that I use on a bicycle, they're easily digestible, but, um, you know, I don't know. It depends. It depends on what I'm doing for the day, but, but no matter what you do, just stay on top of your hydration first and stay on top of your nutrition. So. Yeah. The cycling gels are pretty good. I found, and, and you want to have them regularly throughout the day because one of the things yeah. I really like sometimes <clears throat> banana and that's great in the morning, but then you get a sugar crash. So you kind of have to keep the high going and the cycling gels are designed for that or you call them goo. Um, I, I have to find out the brand, but I found a new one that's natural. Like I used to use SIS, but it's all chemicals, which are probably good, but I, I prefer natural stuff. And yeah. that brand is all natural. And I found like if you take three or four during the day and you stay hydrated and literally I'd skip lunch or eat some nuts or something really light, yeah. then your energy level sustains and you can keep going. Uh, you know, you have a big lunch or, or a big breakfast, all of a sudden you have some energy and then you crash. That's true. Yeah. And even, you know, bars, I, I, I'm like, I'm very selective with what I eat throughout the day. And then I make sure that the night before, because your hydration and your nutrition starts the day before or two days before, like you can't, you can't be on the morning off trying to get hydrated for the day. Like that, that's, a, you're already behind again. So, you know, it's really, really important that you're in tip-top shape before the event. Um, and hydration, like I said, most likely the day before is so critical that you really need to stay ahead of it. So I, I can tell we're all old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a conversation of three 50-year-olds that are talking about, you know, what, what to eat the day before. When, when I was... 25 and 30 years old it didn't matter didn't matter your warm-up time was nothing and you're uh now i spent like 20 minutes just stretching in the morning so i don't (laughs) tweak my back as i'm loading or unloading the bike (laughs) 
<laughs> it was like drinking yeah, all was, night. Uh, recovery yeah. situation. How many assholes do you need? And... <laughs> yeah. and, and literally, I mean, it's like rare that I have, you know, in the last, I mean, in the last uh, couple of years, I've had like a lot of times where I've just been riding injured for the most part for one thing or another, you know, so. <laughs> Injuries are uh, a part of life. Uh, speaking yeah. of injuries, I want to I want to wish get well soon to our friend Josh Hayes that just broke his leg leg today. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yeah, so I so, saw uh, videos of him smiling in the booth at Mono America with his with his yes. leg up. Uh, so yep. yeah, I just texted him actually, and and he said that thanks, Nabil. I did it wrong this time. I and saw I'm the like, crash. Oh, that is never wrong. That that crash was violent. It was yeah. You know, it was yeah. It wasn't pleasant. I haven't seen the crash yet. Is it um is it posted or yeah, it was supposed to a single bike. Yeah. It was a single bike crash. Yeah, yeah. It just it it looked high side, right? Yeah, it looked like it just high sided very violently and the bike just started spinning. Yeah. That bike is is done. That's it. Yeah. It it came out in pieces. So, yeah. so well, at yeah. least you don't have more kids circulating in Moto America and playing bumper cars. Yeah, well it even Marquez <laughs> is, you know, he's not you know, he's not invincible, but Josh Hayes, it he seems to be invincible. So he'll he come. Is, he'll he come is. back. Okay. He, w- he was just smiling, and and you know, <laughs> if we were if we broke our leg at the track, we'd be at the hospital already. But he just yeah. put his leg up on the desk and and just went to you know, uh, announcer duty <laughs> in one <Mono> America. <laughs> yeah, he's actually. Uh, we're trying to do uh, probably by the end of the year after the Motor America season is done. We're probably going to do. We've done a couple of events at uh, his uh, camp. Uh, we've done the flat track uh, camp at Josh Hayes. We're probably going to do another one this year. So where is it, San Diego? It's, a, it's in Oceanside. Okay, that'll be fun. Yeah, uh, Josh was, actually uh, uh, was very eloquent talking about resilience. Remember on our podcast, uh, yep. I think it was the first or the second. And we spent some time trying to understand, you know, what's the mentality of, of a champion? What keeps you going, especially for a long career like his? I mean, the, the man is in his 40s and he goes and wins a race and he hasn't raced in a while. And, and with, with people who are, you know, 18 and 20 and 22. And um, he actually gave a very good overview of what gets him going. And I encourage people to look at that. And, and we tested it. So he was yeah. super tired. It was like 11 p.m. Uh, he had to get up at four in the morning the next day. He had his wife and the kids and he had guests coming in from out of town. And we kept him there for, for two hours talking to him and he, he kept going. Uh, his, so, his dedication and, and um, work ethics are off the chart. Yeah. You know, he's, he's yeah. amazing. And he's actually an amazing cyclist too, so. We ride every once in a while. And, like, well, and, he doesn't and, ride. <laughs> and now he's tied with Miguel de Hamel for all-time all uh, wins in AMA. So uh, he's he's yeah. probably going to break that record. When, when I yeah. say probably, he, he for sure is going to break that record. Yeah. And yep. He's going to put that record in, in, in a place where nobody can touch that for years to come. Yeah. Amen. Slightly, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a bunch of really strong coaches at, at Fast Track, right? Between, and they're all fantastic cyclists. I mean, you know, I get Bostrom. Bostrom is is uh, a great cyclist, and and he practices that a lot. But then Ulrich, who kind of looks like you know, he's he's very low key, and you don't think he doesn't look like somebody who trains all the time. And 
and uh, no gravitas around like cycling or anything serious about it. And he gets on a bicycle. I remember during the competition uh, at the end of the university, he was doing like consistent 24, 25 miles an hour, just ripping around that track. And he looked completely out of shape until he got on the bike and took off. And then he lapped me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's the, these guys, they, you know, we said that before they're champions and as human beings in general, they just, their, their mental, their ability, their physical abilities, the, uh, I mean, definitely Eric and, and Ben Bostrom are uh, off the chart, uh, uh, natural athletes that I, it's, it's rare to like, it's rare. It's hard to explain. It's a, their ability to, to, to pull some of the physical athletic, uh, uh, things that they're able to do is, uh, it, it's just not natural. It's not normal. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not human, you know? So, uh, it, it's 100% between your ears and, and we're going to have in a future episode, I don't know if I should say it or not, Nabil, you want to, you want to say who's going to be, I think two episodes from now. Well, we're going to have Jeremy toy, right. And yeah, that's and next he week. Is a, Fit, unbelievable fitness guy. I mean, he emphasizes fitness when he's training, but he is ripped. And, Absolutely. and if, if anybody can muscle around the motorcycle around the track, this is the man. Uh, we you should think, definitely remember to ask him a lot of questions. You, about you think it's you think it's Royds? Just between you and me, no one's going to listen. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and well, then we have an audience of four now. <laughs> and that includes well, the three of well, us look, <laughs> look the, the 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 we have we don't have a lot of listeners like other podcasts or or youtubers but we have the right people so we're not gonna yeah. uh sit around spit out content for the masses uh whoever whoever wants to listen to quality information that for people that know what they're talking about will listen and you know whoever doesn't Whoever just consumes junk all day can, you know, can go listen to Yami Noob or, you know, one of those. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, I, I, I like the approach. Like I said before, we, we, you could leave the horse to the water, but you can't make it drink. You just, um, we're trying to put all that information available out there for everybody. And it's up to you to reach in and grab it. Yeah. So. So so now now let's move on to the uh, to the part that uh, wh- why we why we contacted you. Um, we we have a co-host. One of us uh, has an exquisite taste in motorcycles, uh, and the other one just bought a KTM. <laughs> <laughs> so so we're here to talk about we're here to talk about uh, the KTM RC eight. C well, what's the exact name of that model? Yeah, RC8C. RCA RC8C. The artsy. It is artsy. Yeah. <laughs> I think the name comes from so their MotoGP bike is RC16C, and this one is basically two cylinder, not four. So there you go, half the number. What happened to the rest of the cylinders? They chopped them. <laughs> Weight saving. They give them. They give them to the more advanced riders. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, like man. Uh, 
you got it. You're much better writer than I am. I know I had the chance to get one too. Uh, you're, you've ridden it. You've ridden so many bikes in your lifetime. Um, you have an amazing collection and you ride them back to back one after the other at a track, you know, well, you've just recently ridden it in Jerez. Um, so tell us about the bike and your impressions and how it felt riding it. I mean, I mean, definitely I've been riding a lot of different bikes for, for many, many years. And I think the, uh, you know, I got so used to the big power bikes, uh, a lot of the 1000 power bikes. And, and, and the first thing is when I jumped on this bike, I tried to ride it like a, like a leader bike and, and it's not designed to be ridden like that. So it took me a few laps to, to kind of put my head around it and like, okay, I got to ride this bike differently. So it's one of the lightest bikes I've ever ridden. It's super light. It's, uh, the, the power to weight ratio is perfect. You feel like you're actually riding the bike and it's not intimidating in any way. And it's so precise. The chassis is incredible. Um, I, everything on the bike, uh, fits like a glove. So overall I was super, super impressed from the first time out on that bike. Um, we ran pretty respectable lap times at the end of the day on that bike, although the gearing was off. Um, you know, it's not designed for uh, such a track. Uh, so I need to change the gearing on it. So I kept running out of gears and hitting the rev limiter a couple of times, which you do want to do when you're breaking in the bike. But, um, you know, uh, absolutely loved it. It was, it put a big smile. Uh, and then the sound, the feel, the acceleration, the torque, uh, the, the, the package all together, uh, it lacks that last, you know, top end speed and, and that oomph that you have with, with the high horsepower bikes. But, uh, I, I couldn't be happier than, you know, that bike was absolutely phenomenal. And in Jerez, actually, it was even better because it, uh, it, it was not having the gearing issues that I was having because, like, you're not running out of gears. And uh, amazing. How's, how's the fueling on it? Does it pick up mid-corner? Amazing. It was really, really well-balanced bike. It picks up really well. It gets out of the corner really well. The, the, the braking on that bike uh, is insane because it's so light and so precise. And, um, you know, like I kept like missing my brake markers on, on, on purpose. And I'm like, why am I slowing down so much? I just can push even further. And I just kept pushing and pushing further. And it was, uh, it was like, it's almost like a cheater bike when it comes to that. So it, it looks to me like someone, yeah, someone that watched the videos. Uh, I think it looked to me like it, it really excels at, at putting whatever power it has straight to the yeah. ground. And, and I think it's the tube chassis, uh, yeah, the, not too stiff. It, yeah. The chassis was perfect and, and it was not hard at all on the tires. I ran both days on the same set of tires. Cause obviously we, we were running out of, we, we had a, a shortage of tires at the last event, but uh, both days on the same tires and, uh, you know, no problem, no problem. And, and, and you could see, I mean, like I said, we're, I was really uh, missing uh, the power is just basically at the top end, you know, the ability to go at high speeds because at Auto Club Speedway, you know, on the bigger bikes, um, definitely we, we go above the 170 miles per hour range and, and I just couldn't get there, you know. It, it, well, I think I topped off at 153 or 143. I can't remember. If, if you get out, if you get out the last corner really well, then I, th I think 
I think it doesn't, I, I doesn't did. really matter much. It, I did. It's it's just I ran out of gear, so I was hitting the rev limiter, and I had to back off because I I couldn't accelerate anymore. So it would just it would top off and hit the rev limiter before the start finish line. Okay. So it's yeah. like there's no room to get there very quickly. Yeah. I mean, but but think about it this way: uh, Aymar was within two seconds of his PB almost on a bike that was still breaking in, and that was at a twenty miles an hour deficit in the front straight. So. That's pretty impressive. I ran my personal best on the second day on the bike, and I was still babying the engine because it was in braking mode. Yeah. I mean, it is insane. I was running some stats because I'm, I'm a data guy more than anything. But better data than rider, put it that way. Uh, it's the same spec as a MotoGP 2 bike. So 308 pounds, 128 horsepower, but a more compliant chassis. So everybody complains about Moto2 that they're very stiff, which makes them very hard to ride, and you have to ride them a different way than street bike. This is kind of like the perfect medium between a, a, a Moto2 and a street bike because the sh it's easier to ride in that sense, but it's still giving you the same specs, if you will, as a Moto2 bike, weight and power-wise. How, how do you compare to your R6? You have a race-prepped R6, right? Yeah, how, yeah. How did it... it uh, definitely more power on the pickup. It definitely stops better, turns better. Uh, I mean, I, I was doing better lean angles than I've ever done. And it wasn't scary. It's just the bike felt it wanted to turn and it wanted to lean more and, and whatever you wanted to do mid-corner, it just complied, didn't scare you for a second. The uh, the downshifting was amazing too. I mean, we ended up, and you know, I stopped using the second gear, but if you're coming in like turn three really fast and you want to slow yourself down and you downshift all the way to second, the bike almost slams to the ground in an almost linear fashion. Like, you know, if I did it on the MV or the R6, I'd be like this and hard on the brakes. And, and if I used, especially if I used abruptly the uh, the downshift, the, the rear would wiggle, right? In this bike, it was almost like the bike just went flat. Does it have a sleeper clutch? Super stable. Does it have a, a sleeper clutch? Yeah. Okay. Does it have TC? It's got a sleeper and really advanced suspension, actually. Okay. As WP? well, they say that WP that's on it is like one level down from MotoGP. Uh, forks and shocks. Apex or whatever they call it. WP. Yeah, WP Apex. Yeah, I see your shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, you how know, does, all my sponsors. How, how does it transition left to right? We, there's there's a couple of left to right. I think there's three left to rights uh, in, in Fontana. Uh, the, the first straight comes to uh, a transition and, and then uh, turn five, six, I think, right? Six seven. No, those yeah. are two left. Six yeah, seven. Three four. Seven, so yeah, and then at the end there's of the a lot back, of, uh, transitions. Yeah, yeah, and then at the, at the end of the back straight, also there's there's a, a transition there. So how how does it transition compared to the R six? Left. Oh, left I was gonna right. have Raymond give his opinion first, but compared to the R six, much lighter, side to side, a lot lighter, a lot easier to transition. Yeah, hundred percent. I think. Uh, you know, I got injured uh, about a year and a half ago with my collarbone, and um, it, it always takes a toll on me going through turn one. Um, you know, so it uh, it's very physically demanding, and on this bike, it was almost effortless. So I was I was able to to ride as much as I rode because I was not in pain. So it was, uh, so transitions are really easy. Um, the the bike is very nimble. You know, mind you, it was the first time out on this bike. So once uh, once I get it uh, dialed in, 
like I want it to be and get really comfortable on it, um, then it's, it's a game changer. Good. He's having a hard yeah. time repressing the smile. <laughs> so, so it, it sounds, it, it sounds like a perfect bike. Does it have any drawbacks? No. Yeah, and, and then the other thing I like, which is, you know, it's a, uh, it, it's a, uh, I didn't have to do anything. It recognized the track we're on <laughs> by itself. <laughs> and then it started displaying the lap times for me as I'm riding. And as I'm riding, it was actually, uh, I was able to adjust, you know, the, the throttle control and adjust the engine braking. So I could display with it between corners if I want to, uh, on the fly. And then also the ability to just tell you if you're ahead or behind your fastest lap. So it was like, I was just like, just playing. And that was like, super super exciting and to then, see that then brad pinder shows up on the dash and he goes like oh yeah. you got downshift now yeah. coaches you <laughs> yeah it was, it was it was a different experience because like you, you know exactly where you're at you know you know if you messed up that lap then you know you can make it up on the next one you knew exactly where you're at so it was, it was pretty cool does, does it have any drawbacks anything you would change the only thing I like is I wish I had like a switch button where I could just go down the straightaways and just make up for the 1000 CC uh, power that I lack, uh, you know, and get that top speed. But other than that, like if I didn't have that little nitrous boost, you know, <laughs> I, I think, uh, yeah, everything else. I mean, it was just amazing. It's just the, the one thing I did not, you know, I'm not used to in a long time is the ability to, to get that top end power. And, and and um I, I know we I know we asked someone from KTM to be here and, and uh did they didn't, but do you know anything about who who makes I mean I know it's a Kramer or designed by Kramer. What where does KTM get in the mix between Kramer and, and the well, consumer? So so the Kramer bikes are all actually you know, they're they're KTM motors. They have the eight ninety motor on the you know, the GP two R, uh the GP two eight ninety R. Uh, they, they run the same motor as this. A lot of the components that are on this bike are uh, similar, if not the same, as the Kramer. Um, um, but of course, you know, the, the, the design, the overall, there's, there's a lot of things that were done specifically for this bike, uh, uh, you know, that uh, is, is purely KTM. So um, I think the right answer is it's a KTM. Okay. Okay. So the reason why I asked. Well, I mean, specifically, I think, uh, you know, it's a dedicated Acra exhaust that you, you don't get on the Kramer. Correct. The exhaust um, is different. The yeah. mapping is different. The airbox is certainly different. So they have a much bigger airbox. So I think right. they jammed a few more horsepower out of it and, and more low end torque. Um, you know, like rear sets and, and suspension is different too. I think you can get that suspension on a Kramer if you wanted to. They're hard to get. Uh, but typically they'll run all-ins or, or uh, you know, kind of more track day or racing type, um, kind of club racing yeah. type suspension. Um, and, you know, there's only 100 made. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the reason why I was asking the question, because people that didn't <coughs> get put money and didn't get the bike, are uh, they going to be satisfied with the Kramer or are they going to sit at home and be sour? I think, uh, you know, depends on the level of rider but to, to to the average rider for the most part they're probably not even you know they're not going to be able to tell the difference in performance um aesthetically is definitely it's pretty pretty obvious i mean the, the the way it looks it looks like a million bucks you know it looks like uh like a moto gp bike sitting in your garage you know so it's uh 
Um, but I think to the average rider to, to, to recognize, and that's, that's true with, with a lot of the bikes out there. That's true with a lot of the bikes that most of the average, um, riders are not going to be able to tell the difference, um, between a lot of these bikes from a performance standpoint at the high level, you know, there's only to a certain level that they can, they can cap that off. And then after that, it, it, it's, it takes a lot to be able to just push and understand the, the next, what is that, what is the bike capable of doing? And in most cases, most of the bikes that are available on the market, even in the uh, 300 series, you know, in the 300 CC series, uh, can, uh, it's rare that you're going to see a lot of riders that are able to actually outride that bike, even at that level, you know? And that's, I think, one of the things that we talked about earlier with respect to uh, using the bikes as a mode of transportation. I think uh, we're kind of spoiled a little bit here, but in, in Europe, you know, and other parts of the world, they start off with smaller displacement bikes and they kind of grow and graduate into the, the, the bigger bikes as they, they get more familiar with, with how to maneuver and how to handle a, a bike. Um, and I think here we jump, like, I, I can't tell you how many people I know that they got their first uh, bike as a 1,000cc bike. You know, and, you know, I would say even running it in rain mode is pretty scary. You know, I, I know they scare me to, to, till, t- till today. I get scared when I get on these big, intimidating, you know, super fast bikes. And, you know, I definitely don't, or I can't ride these bikes to the limits like, like some of the, the pros can. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. So to answer your question, in summary, I don't think they would notice a difference from a performance standpoint, but they're just more aesthetically how okay so so guys if, if you're listening um and and you want one of those bikes just go get a kramer uh with a with an orange paint job and slap <laughs> slap a few wings on it that's, and, and that's completely fine. taken out of context i did not say it oh okay so guys <laughs> d- don't do that I, I never said anything uh don't get a kramer uh, or, t- or just, talk to just, me. Just we'll wait get for you a used... similar KTM. <laughs> yeah, just just wait for a used one to go on the market. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, who knows? I mean, you know, it's it's uh, um, the recent announcement also with uh, KTM distributing all the uh, MV boosters in uh, in North America. That's, I mean, that's Nabil's. Uh, that's Nabil's wet dream. I mean, he's got yeah, an MV and a KTM. Got, he's going to get all it, all of yeah. his all of his uh, leaking uh, motorcycles uh, in in the same place, right? I thought he actually was behind the deal. He was. I politely asked him. So, uh, are you going to um, supply? Are you going to supply those dealerships with squeegees to, to go <laughs> go clean the floors? Right. <laughs> Supplies them with unlimited uh, funds. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, it, it's something about, um, obviously, you know, maybe I'll see in my garage before I, it, it does look like a, like a motorcycle shop, but, uh, you know, a, a lot of the bikes that are out there, um, right now, um, it just, I think somehow in the last two, three years, every manufacturer just stepped it up. Like every bike that's out there right now is a different level. I feel like, Right before, you know, 2020, 2019, the bikes were kind of like at a stable place. And now in the last three years, it's just seen like, you know, buying a bike that's three years newer than, than it was three years ago is a whole different bike. And, you know, I feel that pretty much on every bike that I've ridden recently. Like, you know why? Compared to the original. You know why? It's, it's 2020. So it was the same thing with the last recession. Once a recession comes around, everybody just puts their yeah. heads together and nobody goes home. Everybody just starts yeah. to 
figure out how to survive in the market and then they just come in with better and better products. I mean, I, across the board, like everybody, which is it's a really good place to be in right now if you're looking out for to buy to purchase a new bike. The new bikes, like I would say if you buy a newer bike now, it, it's not like it's a completely different bike across all brands, you know. I mean, obviously, it's best if you buy a BMW and a KTM because um, those are <laughs> <laughs> the best. Well, I mean, all kidding is nice. The BMW but, stepped it up really like World Superbike. Now they're in the top fives and yeah. and a serious contender. Whereas like, you know, the first year always they were developing the bike and you stumble. But now it's really at a level where it's on par with the top bikes. And, and these bikes have been under development for years and years. And there's a new announcement coming soon here that, you know, we can't really discuss yet, but, but that's also, you know, very, very exciting stuff from BMW. Okay. So when you say I can't discuss yet now, that's all we can think about. Exactly. <laughs> that's why I wanted to use, just get people to think about it. <laughs> just yeah, think that there's something stop exciting so we can hear from, from BMW, uh, you know, that, um, um, you know, um, is also uh, going to be very, very interesting because it seems like all of a sudden right now, uh, a lot of manufacturers are de developing these very unique kind of like the RCHC um, and, you know, Aprilia released their, their, uh, what is it? I can't remember how many, the, uh, the RC, the RC, the other X trend, trend, yeah. whatever it is. But, but I think it's, uh, it's also the, it's also a, a uh, hundred uh, bikes limited edition i believe yeah. right yeah yeah so and, and then so and then the, and then you see them you see them two seconds later at an auction selling for triple the price oh wow yeah they, 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 should, they, they should do what ferrari does which is if, if you're going to get a limited model ferrari and you're going to sell it immediately they're not going to sell you another ferrari uh so exactly i, I probably well, should the, do the same thing like with the rca uh you know they did not allow people to kind of get them that easily right so so it's pretty pretty strict and then uh for the most part the people that did have to buy them uh i was fortunate that i didn't have to go through the same process but basically they had to pay for them in, in advance so they knew the dealer wasn't trying to uh, gouge it and and, and mark it up as much as they want etc and they were not buying it for friends so they they made it pretty they made it pretty clear that that's what they wanted to do, you know. So they, uh, you know, they wanted to to to, to cater to a specific audience, and and they succeeded in that. You know, I think Nabila, you probably remember. I think when they announced the availability of the uh, RCHC, it was sold out in what three minutes, uh, all hundred, and yeah, then they yeah, had a little under three minutes, and then in like five minutes, they had about three hundred people on the waiting list. Yeah, so. Is it is it like Ferrari when? They made you know one one hundred ninety nine for the rest of the world, and then uh, one for Michael Schumacher. Is is KTM the same thing? They they made ninety nine, and then one for Imad. One for Imad, yeah. There you go. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's called. Well, one I was one. like, I was I was pretty bummed. I said, you know, I uh, I I said, look, you know, I'm not gonna compete and and do this, you know. And I know I'd rather that it goes to to, to hands of people that are enthusiasts. Uh, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm always loyal to the brand. So if it needs to go to somebody else, I'm, I'm fine. And I said, okay. And then they, and then I got the call. I was like, okay, well, just so you know, there's one that's been spoken for you. <laughs> so it's perfect. <laughs> so how, how, okay. did, how did Nabil get his? 
That's what I want to know. He told him he knows he might. <laughs> yeah, I might actually get two assigned for him. As many as you want. One, one yeah, that was, uh, it was actually pretty exciting. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, um, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, the exactly the point that you're trying to make, Alan, is that, you know, they can't, you know, this whole idea of, buying stuff and gouging it and selling it for triple the price and you know i'm a little disappointed even with what porsche is doing recently you know with, with all their cars you know the uh the, the markups are completely outrageous and um i've always been a porsche enthusiast and had many porsches throughout the years and love love the brand and, and just like i'm really turned off right now by by the fact like hey you know <laughs> I should be on the list of, you know, where they use it, normally would contact me to, to, to look at one, you know, to, to get the next one. Now it's like, you got to wait in line and pay $150,000 over sticker. Yeah. Well, you, well, you, you think, you so, think Porsche is bad? Try, try getting a Corvette, right? It's really bad. It's, it's really, bad. it's, we're it's in a insane. really bad market right now, yeah, which and, is, uh, but, but again, it's not going to be sustainable. This is, there's no way this is sustainable. I, yeah, I, I just, I, I got, tired of waiting for uh the jigster that carries building for me so i ordered a new motorcycle uh yeah. and um i looked around and and uh i saw this this rsv4 uh 2021 brand new still in the dealership right and and i contacted the dealership and i i gave him a, a pretty fair price i think for for an aprilia uh and and i got back a quote that that was like Five thousand dollars over what they even listed it on the website. So yeah. I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm not paying that kind of money for an RCV4." Sorry. Uh, and then I, I crossed the street. I went to another dealership and I ordered a new Jixxer uh, 750. And they're they're only getting three. Uh, so uh, there's there's just no bikes to go around. There's no merchandise. Yeah, um, but 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 again, like I said, this is it's got to be temporary because this is there's no way sustainable. Who, who not, knows? I mean, that, that's the the geopolitical era we're living in, right? And and that that takes us beyond just supply chain into politics and what's going on behind the scenes. And I don't see yeah. that getting resolved anytime soon. Uh, the reason I'm saying this is because I I was seeing the same thing across on bicycles. Um, you can get bicycles, you, you can't, um, you know, they're, they're not available. You can't get parts, you can't get this. And, and now, uh, I'm receiving emails of 20% discounts and 15% discounts. And, um, and then you go on like, uh, uh, kind of like the Craigslist or anything, you'll see a lot of them that are being dumped right now into the market. So, so I think it's, you know, it's probably a, a starting point. Um, and I think eventually, you know, it's going to be slower definitely for the for things that are more essential obviously a bicycle is less essential than a motorcycle less essential than a, you know but motorcycle is less essential than a car and an rv is less essential than uh, a lot of stuff and the same I mean, thing look, you know look with at the boats prices, and, yeah look at food right the prices of yeah. food yeah exactly right yeah right now that's there's actually that's already where, some signs that uh, depending on the brand some cars are going back to the promotion so you get a special apr or or you right. get off of MSRP. Not the luxury cars, you know, not the rare cars, but not the high. Yeah. yeah. 
but that's that's just because demand supply and and, yeah. and there's not there's not many of them you know yeah. um yeah. I, I was happy to pay fifteen thousand dollars in cash for gsxr 750 out the door right and and that's that's an unheard of price but yeah. that's the time we're living yeah. in yeah i was offered a pretty handsome offer on top of my rc8c to, to give it out and i was like no just because that's not what i want to do you know i just don't want to sell it uh but but i'm just surprised that anybody actually would want to pay that way so yeah it it is that's yeah. that's the world we're living in and it, i hope it's going to be temporary and i hope it's going to get resolved soon i hope so too uh but but you know it, as long as it's as long as it's getting as long as it's lasting the way it's lasting our sport i think is one of the things that suffer because the essentials are always going to keep going people are going to keep eating right they might not be going to a restaurant but they're going to you know go and go and cook at home they're still going to be eating uh, but then the rest of the budget it goes to rent and goes to mortgages and and whatnot we're we're the last one in the in the food chain because we're, we're luxury well, we kind of went a full a full 360 almost to where we started right because i initially started by saying we want to make sure that we get to a point where hopefully motorcycles are a mode of transportation and here we are like this is the opportunity right now with the gas prices with with everything that's out there with the uh, inflation with everything that you're experiencing this is the time to kind of relook of how we are living our lives day to day you know um, and, uh, especially for big cities, you know, where they're paying tons of money for parking, et cetera, motorcycles are, you know, uh, I don't know if it was Australia or one of the, uh, countries where they actually, um, allowed motorcycles to park anywhere on the sidewalk, as long as they're not blocking, uh, the doorways or, you know, a garage door or something. Um, so can you imagine, I mean, that just completely changed how people look at motorcycles. So I hope, I think we're due for something like that. And with, Motorcycle is very cost efficient, you know, relative to a car or a vehicle. Um, they could be as safe as possible as long as you know what you're doing. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's a proven mode of transportation for many years uh, in other countries. So why couldn't it be here? Why, why, why do we all have to be driving big SUVs uh, with one person in the vehicle? Yeah, so. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we're the country of big highways and big roads. Like you have room to make dedicated lanes. You have plenty of rooms to move around. In Europe, you see these scooters yeah. squeezing between cars in those narrow lanes. Cobblestone, when they get wet, get very slippery. You don't have that problem here. It doesn't rain as much as it rains in Europe. And yeah, at least well, in yeah. the South, weather's always nice. So, so you're not like dealing with sleet and snow and ice and uh, cold weather. And surprisingly enough, less bicycling and, and certainly less motorcycling and you know maybe and, last recession the industry got hit very bad but maybe this recession people will start taking the economical mode to work yeah and maybe if you think about it like that change that well that you know electric bikes are you know again it's all about educating and i think right now like you're going to see probably a lot of rules and banning on some of the e-bikes uh, because there's a lot of accidents happening uh, a lot of kids are riding these e-bikes uh, without helmets uh being completely reckless, but I blame it on us, right? Like how much do we educate the people that are actually using these tools, you know? So if we were a little bit more uh, diligent and a little, you know, we, we do our, our uh, due diligence on how to, you know, enable these modes of transportation, um, 
I think even the government and even everybody, you know, like advertising, um, they could do a much better job in educating people to be safer on two wheels if they want to. Yeah. And we're a nation that takes our education from Hollywood. And, and I think one of, one of the biggest advocates is, you know, Tom Cruise and uh, Keanu Reeves. Uh, they, they, I think they bring more people into motorcycles than, than anyone else. That's, that's my Absolutely. opinion. And that's why yeah. the, the whole premise of what we were trying to do with the academy was to actually get exposure um, and, and get uh, uh, influencers into the equation that could help us disseminate this information and help us um, you know, relay the message. Yeah, the problem is, I think, is our loss of happy culture. If somebody like Keanu or, or Tom Cruise went out and encouraged kids to ride motorcycles, he'll get sued by the parents of the kids that crash. And so they're not out there publicly saying, look, this is a great mode to move around. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly. I, I think it's just, you know, it's just a kid seeing a movie, <coughs> uh, look, looking at the motorcycle and saying, I, I, want, I want one of those. So I think that's that's the service they they bring, uh, but yeah. yeah, it's it's it. I don't want to say it's sad we take our education from Hollywood and and from content marketing, but that's that's life. That's that's how we're we're getting educated instead of uh, getting our education in school. So I think if if the motorcycle industry wants to penetrate a, a segment of the market, I think that those are the channels we need to take. Yeah. I mean, going going to LA from for me is is without traffic is less than a two hour drive, right? But with the way it is here in California, I just dread going to LA because sometimes it's a four hour drive. You know, the, the the there's so much congestion, there's so much traffic. Like, there's no one that needs motorcycles more than us here, specifically in California, Southern California, and not to mention the Bay Area and other places. You know, so big cities, San Francisco, New York. Uh, New York, probably they, they have the disadvantage of the weather, but at least half of the year, you know, they could take advantage of it. Um, so I think it, it's just a matter of educating a, a lot of these um, uh, riders and, and, and parents and people, you know, and, and, and being kind of uh, controlling the outcome of what, you know, the recklessness and everything that comes with it. If, if everything you want to do is just get a motorcycle and, and just kind of, go and and rip through the canyons and you know use that as your racetrack uh, then obviously we're doing something wrong in educating uh the riders what what they need to be doing what should be doing should be doing because that's definitely not a, a cheap track day it's a it's a very expensive track day when things don't go right and things you know when there's a possibility of something going wrong it would and 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 you know um and things are good until they're not and when they're not you know some people are very fortunate that they can actually get a second chance and others are not as fortunate so yeah yeah i, I was one of those very, very fortunate ones that i got a second chance so i, I think everybody's everybody has a story uh, yeah and, and and the reason why almost everybody has a story is because we all had bad ed- education until we stepped on a racetrack yeah. and, and got the right education from the right people it's amazing how I rode and not knowing what I know now. Like it, it fascinates me. Like how did I actually survive? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, uh, yeah. and, and not only that, but it's, it's way more fun when you know what you're doing. Yeah. So yeah. it's a sport. Yeah, and, and I mean, if, you're, uh, if you have a mad style, you know, you, you realize that the canyons are dangerous and you go buy a track organization. 
That's one way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you do that. What, what are you saying, Nabil? Some people do track these, you know, he'll just, just buy them. So, some people buy them, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to pass on the baton. So, <laughs> so what are you saying? It's, it's for sale? Everything is for sale. For oh, you heard it. Uh, you heard it here and, first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is for the for sale for the right price. But but uh, honestly, like you know, the whole fast track experience is stems from passion, and it's pretty obvious and pretty evident. I think anybody who knows me and sees how I, I have, you know, a lot less interest in many other things, and and this is like my passion. Uh, and I get excited and my eyes light up when I talk about motorcycles. You know, I don't see a lot of things in, in, in my life, at least that kind of get me to that, um, to that kind of level of excitement. <laughs> right. I got a tough question. Well, what's now? Yeah. Most of us, well, I was going to say most of us between sessions, you know, we'll just flop ourselves on a chair and, try to take a breath until so we can get ready for the next one. And Imad is zipping around the entire track saying hi to everybody. I mean, it's true you meet a lot of cool people at Fast Track because there's, I don't know if it's LA or, or the fact that it's close to the, or the garages, are, but there's something in the tracks like a lot of CEOs and executives and people who own companies. I mean, I was pitting next to the CEO of Dunlop for years before he retired. The uh, next day, it's like a guy who uh, has like a million followers on Instagram who turns around companies and basically companies pay him to teach how to turn around a company. You meet fascinating people, but like he would not sit between sessions. He's always zipping around, talking to people, making sure everybody's happy, everybody's comfortable, see if they need something. I mean, it's you can see the passion in action. He's, he's the host, right? Okay. He's the yeah, host. Yeah, I, I, and I, it doesn't bother me at all doing it. Like, I love doing it. You know, I, I really enjoy doing it, and, you know, uh, when David Piles um, and I were talking, he's like, you know, you're not going to be riding much once you take over Fast Track. And I was like, ah, um, I wonder why. Like, let's just see, you know. But literally, with the exception of the time where I actually um, hurt my collarbone and I was injured and I couldn't ride, I did not miss a single event. And I rode pretty much in every single event. And I rode the tires and the wheels off these bikes. And it was just uh, it's the most exciting feeling. So. Now, now I have a tough question for you. Uh, I think a lot of people read uh, read the articles and heard the rumors about uh, Auto Club Speedway and the future of Auto, Auto Club Speedway. Do you have any insight to that? Um, and and if that actually comes <coughs> true, do you have a timeline? And do you have a plan, uh, an alternate plan for another venue if if anything happens there? Yeah. I, I mean, obviously there's all these contingency plans that I'm working on in the background, if that does happen. But I've also learned a long time ago not to worry about things that are still not decided yet. Cause how many things we worry about that never really never happened. Right. So um, I only worry about the things that I can control the outcome and this one I can't. Uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, most of the management team uh, uh, at auto club don't have uh, a lot of the control over the outcome of what, what's going to happen. It's a uh, NASCAR is, making the decision. Um, but this is not new. This has been in the talks for the last seven years, you know? So, so, um, 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 at some point, I think, you know, uh, with the current situation with how difficult it is to, um, to get, uh, 
construction workers and to get material to build, et cetera, um, that may play to our advantage that uh, this, this decision would be either postponed or uh, completely uh, revisited. And, uh, you know, I don't know, I've always been optimistic and I'm hoping that uh, uh, instead of doing that, maybe going the other route where they would just repave the entire uh, facility and freshen it up. Uh, that could be a complete game changer because we do need something like that in Southern California. And that's the only place in Southern California, um, actually pretty much in all over California as, as one of the best facilities as, as a, as a complete facility. You know? So, um, uh, that said, you know, uh, if something happens, I, I think uh, I'm a believer that when one door closes, another door opens, we do have, uh, talks with other exclusive tracks that are not uh, open to public uh, that we're exploring. Um, but also we can't make all these commitments until the decision is final, because obviously we can't, you know, this is a, a substantial financial commitment. If we have to uh, commit to, to double the events at, you know, two tracks at the same time. So uh, hopefully soon we'll find out, but I know uh, NASCAR has announced their schedule for the year that they're running in end of February. So at least, I would say, you know, first part of the year, we're, we're good. Um, and then we'll see what happens. Right. But, uh, but, uh, it's not nothing new. And as, as of today, as of, as far as I know, as of my interactions with, uh, our club, even as of uh, recent as yesterday morning, um, there's no decision I've made. So, but we do hear a lot of rumors. So, yeah, that, that, that's the thing about NASCAR. They're so big. And surprisingly, they're a nonprofit, <laughs> which yeah. makes doesn't make a lot of sense. But they're so big that uh, I, I heard I heard um, someone say that they can run uh, an event without any crowd and, and still make money. So, oh, wow. yeah. so um, well, because of the sponsors, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah and the yeah. TV deals. Uh, so I, I think it, it's it's not always ideal when we're at the mercy of an organization that already tried to kill us once, right? With, with AMA, uh, but I, I'm also optimistic that I've been hearing those rumors for a long time, and it, I don't think they have the resource or want to invest in, in doing anything that, that's going to... It's a, it's a big investment. Yeah. It's a very big investment. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think they're busy looking at Vegas right now, uh, yeah. so their focus is not necessarily on Fontana. So I, yeah. I, think, I think we're going to be good for at least five years, that, that you know... I don't want to. I don't want to make any predictions, but I don't see this happening anytime soon. Yeah. And when, when Auto Club first opened, and my first visits to Auto Club and riding there, it was like a dream come true. I couldn't believe that actually a facility that I could actually drive to in the morning, come back home, and spend you know sleep in my bed, and 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 go the next day if I want to. Um, and the facility was you know a class act facility. I mean, it was basically. You don't have to carry generators. You know, we all went through that, the tent and the generators and yeah. the setup. And, you know, it, it, this is, this is like shade, as good as have, it gets. Yeah, air conditioning. You can just go to the it's, office and, and it's as good as it gets. There. Yeah. 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 Or, or a class. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah restrooms okay. that are not 10 miles away. Yeah. All right. Any more questions or should well, we wrap it up? 
really uh, private track days, which, which are on a completely different level financially. So for, for the $300 that, that you're paying to use a world-class NASCAR facility with, with power outlets, RV parking, uh, shaded garages, air conditioning, uh, a, a track that goes half on the oval and half on the infield. So you can, you can feel what it is to, to go 170, 180 miles per hour uh, in an angle. On, on, on an oval of NASCAR uh, and, then, and then go down and, and do a, you know, quote-unquote regular motorcycle um, experience. Uh, this, this, is, this is really the best option uh, that anybody has uh, that lives on the West Coast, I think. And, and one, one more thing, just gals, if I may, is that, again, we emphasize on safety, is it's one of the tracks that has the most runoff when it comes to just not only runoff on, on dirt and onto boulders, you know, it's a, it's a runoff onto actually asphalt, you know? Um, so that's why we feel it's, it's a great combination of training um, and coaches to be there just because of the fact that they can actually push these students to do all these drills in a safe manner. And even if they do run off, they're just going to be on asphalt and right back in. So. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can, you can switch different configurations in there. So yep. if, if you miss a corner, you just keep going. Yep. you're in, in an asphalt and you just come back to the you know come back into the racetrack nothing happened right. absolutely yeah all right Iman, yeah, thank you guys thank, thank you thank guys. you thank you for uh all right, my thank, you. Time. Thank, you. thank you you guys great have time. a great evening